Um, who's been to Jerusalem? Okay, three people. Um, by the way, is something going on there right now? <laughs> it's uh, it's a little unsteady right now, but we shall be going in 2020, hopefully. Yes. If it's not uh, yes. blowing up. Yes. You gonna go, Charles? Yes. Nice. Um, I've already been saving for it. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I assume that y'all. Wait, you friends? Did you say no? Who else would? Oh, Mary Me. Beth. I've been. Oh, Eric. Oh, Mary Beth too. And I. So five of us. Wow. Um, I assume that everybody went to the Western Wall, right? Um, which even if you haven't been there, you've seen it probably on TV or whatever. Um, it's where it's the wall that everybody's. You know, praying to and writing their prayers and putting them in and kind of um, worshiping the Lord in one way or another. There, um, if if y'all don't care, maybe uh, if you've been there, what what did you feel when you were there? Like, what was that experience like at the Western Wall? Not like what did you see there, because we can kind of picture it. But um, what what was just the sense of of being there like? Grief. Grief? Yeah. Okay, why is that, Shelby? I feel like there's just this sense of people are holding on to the last tiny piece of God that they can find on yeah. Earth, because yeah. that's where the Ark of the Covenant like was, essentially. So they're, like, you can sense that in the air, that they're just so sad that the temple is no longer standing, and that the Ark of the Covenant is not there, and they're just... Yeah, there's like this this air of yeah, not just grief, but like just like holding on to the very mm -hmm. last bit. They're just like very uh, intently yearning for like the physical God Himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't they call it the Wailing Wall? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like yeah. literally. What did I call it? Western Wall. Western Wall. Yeah. yeah there's some people who call it the Wailing Wall. Know. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. Same wall. So. Yeah. Javon says no. I don't know. Wailing Wall is Yeah, the Wailing Wall is very, it's a very common the, Well, I guess there's the Wailing Wall, which is part of the Wall. Yeah, it's Western part of the Wall, wall. yeah. Maybe. It's exactly. a portion of it? Yeah. yeah. What else? What, like, what, what did you feel when you went up there? So, what, when I went, um, we actually went on a tour. So, the Western Wall where you actually stand is actually pretty high up, and there's archaeological digs underneath that, and so we actually went to the underground tunnel where this other part of the Western Wall is. And there's these, um, I don't know if these ladies that are from a convent, I forgot what they were, but they were like from like a Jewish convent who would always go there, and they'd always wail, yeah. which is a part of what they do there. And um, it's like, I'll share this real quick, and I'm reluctant to, because I wanted to say this to put it in a sermon or something like that, but um, well, whatever. So it was crazy because those ladies were there and they were like wailing, and I was kind of in the back of our tour, and I was like standing next to them and I was just kind of looking at this wall and we had just got done seeing like this massive, these massive stones that were like perfectly set, like engineering, engineering wise, it was just like, it's just like a, I don't know how you could do that, like multiple hundreds of tons of stone all perfectly set together, like perfectly cut. And I was, uh, cut according to the biblical account, not even in that location, but yeah. sure. somewhere else yeah. Yeah. brought in yeah. sure. and perfectly set. Yeah. Right? And I remember uh, I became so overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and just like, he, like I just kind of, it felt like um, he just kind of reminded us that like, 
uh, he doesn't live in temples, and that even though there was such an amazing structure, God chose to live in us. And um, those ladies were weeping there about not having the temple anymore, and I was weeping and telling God, get away from me, because I'm not worthy to be a temple. Um, and that's, so that's just a little bit of like how that really affected me. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you were, there's, um, if I was in the same tunnel as you, there's the, a particular area that's yeah. like, this is the closest you can possibly yeah. get to where the Arkans, the Holy of Holies would be, and it's like yeah. 200 feet right through that stone, straight that way. Yeah. And I think under the, the Dome of the Rock, right? Or somewhere around that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you get this feeling of, of, of at least some waiting, even though we wouldn't say that, man, God is in, in there, or in particular, he's here in in this temple area, um, you still get just this weight of, wow. I mean, I mean, maybe anywhere in Jerusalem or in Israel, it's like, wow, I'm standing where these things I read so many years ago occurred. And certainly where um, some of these most significant things were, like maybe some of the suggested locations of the death of Christ or the Garden of Gethsemane. But man, where the, the temple, Solomon's temple and the post-exilic temple and Herod's temple, like where that kind of stood, it's like, whoa, like this was, you, you feel the heaviness and the um, kind of the, the sacredness or the holiness that it, that it once was. Like this was a place where you could say heaven meets earth or met the earth. Um, and depending on your end times view, maybe there's some connection there still yet to come. So I want to uh, talk about the temple just a little bit. We just got finished reading, or we're, we're almost finished reading Second Chronicles, if you've been reading along with us, which Hansi was just telling me earlier is the most exciting book in the Bible. <laughs> um, and I, I want to look at the temple. We've, we've looked at it a couple of times, but... Uh, like, you might think, well, why are we going to talk about this temple? It's a structure that doesn't exist any longer. And just, like, s stay with me and pay attention because I think you're going to see the point really easily once once I kind of give some description to the temple. But, but it's important to understand some things about the temple before we get to where it actually hits to us, which is some of maybe what Eric was, was speaking to right there and preaching my sermon. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, so... The temple, and, and we read this in, in uh, um, Samuel. Uh, no, we read this in Kings. Gosh, where's the Kings? Um, we, we read about the construction of the temple, but just to kind of mention some things about it. Um, the plan for the temple, or the blueprint, you could say, for the temple, was given by God to David. We read about in 1 Corinthians 18. It was given by God to David, 28, sorry. Um, and David gave it to Solomon. And then Solomon builds the temple. We read, I think, a few days ago, 2 Chronicles 3. He builds the temple. And just to kind of put it in some of our terms, I know that they use, like, cubits and these measurements and things that we don't really think about unless we look at the little sub notes on your Bible. Um, the temple, this temple took um, approximately seven years to build. It was a huge undertaking. Um, Solomon uses 153 and 600, 153,600 men 
to construct the temple. Um, that's more than it took to build the Taj Mahal um, and many other world structures that we see. Good job creation, too. Um, but this was like just this massive undertaking to build this temple for the Lord. There was so many supplies that we read that David actually kind of collected and stuff, and then he kind of passed it along to Solomon so he'd have what he needed. They had to cut down just innumerable trees, you know, that were shipped from Lebanon, and they had um, these rocks, these ginormous rocks that they had to carve out of the mountain and into, into stones to build with. Um, David collected, we read um, in, in, our own, in our own terms, 7.5 million pounds of gold. And, and they even name the type of gold, I forget what it's called, but like, I think it's insinuating. It's, it's like the good gold, you know, it's, it's good stuff. Um, and 75 million pounds of silver. Like, I don't even know, I don't even know what that looks like. Um, the inside of the temple, if you remember, you, we can read it, it was lined with gold. Um, even some of the nails, it says in 2 Corinthians 3, or 2 Chronicles, were made of gold. Some were of iron, but some of the nails themselves were made of gold. Um, this is, it's an extraordinary building. It's not extraordinary like it's the biggest building that you've ever seen. I was kind of like trying to compare it to something. If you took like our complex right here, so our unit, the one next to us, and then maybe most of the back, maybe is, a, is roughly the size of the, of the footprint of, of the temple, okay? Um, or the, the square footage, if you will. Um, so it's like, yeah, that's, that's big, but that's not like a, some, you know, palace maybe that we would see uh, in other places nowadays. Um, but there was this entrance to the temple or the vestibule, which was 180 feet high. Okay, that's depending on how you're counting, 15 or 20 stories high. So that was even a big, really noticeable thing, even from a distance. So maybe think of it as be across the street, maybe I think twice that or something. Like super tall, skinny vestibule at the beginning, and then the rest of the temple, I think, was 50 feet high or something. But um, anyway, this this massive visual image that, that you could see from all around. And in Second Chronicles, I'm going to say Second Corinthians a few times tonight because I just put 2CH and that looks like Corinthians somehow to me. But um, Second Chronicles chapter 2, um, Solomon says, the house I am to build will be great and wonderful. Yes. Wonderful, the word that he uses there doesn't just mean oh, this is a wonder to behold, wow, check that out. But it's like, it's extraordinary, or it's almost miraculous. Like, you look at it and you think that's almost impossible how great that is and what they've done. Just like um, Eric was saying, some of these stones, it's like, we, I mean, we look on that and we think, how did they even do that, especially without modern technology and tools and whatever. Like, this was a, almost a miracle that this thing could even be built. So think like the seven wonders of the world or... Um, something along those lines, a sight to behold. It was large, it was magnificent, it was ornate, all of the carvings in the gold and the, um, the silver and all the bronze items that were inside. I mean, okay, it's it's this massive thing. Come on in. What's up, Nick? 
You just walked into the temple. Oh. <laughs> it looks beautiful. Have a seat. <laughs> um, okay, interesting. As, as you kind of read through Chronicles, you hear that it, more often than even being called a temple, it's actually called a house. Um, a lot of times that's how Solomon refers to it, it's a house, um, which also something that we realize as we read through that, like we know, this temple or this house could not contain God himself. God wasn't somehow contained in this temple. He couldn't like fit in there. This temple in Jerusalem wasn't the only place that God exists. And in Solomon's prayer of dedication, he says over and over, God, as we pray to you, when you hear our prayers from your dwelling place in heaven, it's like you live here, but you're also kind of here, but these, this, this temple itself can't contain you. You could even say that, um, that heaven and earth couldn't, can't even contain God, right? Because God, God exists before Genesis 1-1, um, even when he creates the heaven and earth. Um, he's, uh, we, I mean, if you grew up in the church and you grew up hearing anything about theology, we just understand God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's even outside of creation. He existed. He's always existed. So Solomon builds this house for God, but he says, but will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So God isn't contained in the temple, but it is a place where his name and his his presence is manifested. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Um, so a question for you all, just something to consider and you can give some feedback. If God, if this isn't fully a house for God, like this is this is a temple, this is a place where, where his presence was, was kind of focused, um, why such a nice house for God? If he owns the heaven and the earth, and the, and the heavens are his dwelling place, and you could say this true throne room is in heaven, then why make this fancy house in Jerusalem? And why does it have to be so magnificent? Why does God call for such this great building? So, so God will be like, oh, this is the home I've always wanted. <laughs> Symbolic. Symbolic? Okay, like of, of what types of things would it be symbolic of? Respect, honor, okay. just his magnificence. So speak something about the character of God and how we should kind of approach God. Christians tend to, <laughs> Christian, but, um, seems to be the theme for Christians um, to do things more efficiently or to their best or okay you know, I think because it's ingrained in a Christian to do stuff with excellence as yeah, you know like you're doing it for for the Lord yeah right? I don't know. Yeah. yeah no that's sure. <laughs> that's good that's good I think that's hopefully that's true of, of Christians when we're working right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, no, but, but I don't know maybe that was could be yeah. as simple as just following directions yeah, God told them, hey, here's what I want you to do, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. that's you. Yeah. <laughs> what else? No, there's, there's maybe multiple things we could say. Like, why, why is God directing them to build such this magnificent, this magnificent temple? Is it for God's sake? <laughs> for his sake in receiving glory, maybe? Yeah. 
But really, maybe we could say for our sake to understand something about who God is. And like the investment that they put into it. It's like when you invest so much mm. in something mm. yeah. and it, it start, it's just starts to mean so much more to you and it's like such a part of who you are. Yeah. Skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. Skin yeah. The and they contributed, everybody contributed freely and with, with joy at the end of First yeah. Chronicles to the to the building of the temple of God. I mean, when you, when you work on a project, just like we all work on different type of projects at work, when you put your time into something, mm -hmm. the time is something that can't be taken away. So mm -hmm. you can't give your time to God, but yet you want to say that you're doing something work. It doesn't make sense. So the first thing he wants is your time to follow directions and put your time into it. And as you're putting time, and if your heart is open, then you can't help but to start loving and caring about what you're investing and putting your time yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah, you would think so. And that lasts a little while in, in Israel's history and then it seems to they be forget. breaking down and they, they forget about yeah. it and then they have to restore it. And then, yeah. Yeah, the, the greatness of the temple of God is the, in the plan that he laid out proclaimed something, I believe, to or some things to the people of the day. Um, and I'm going to give you four of those things that it, um, that it said to the people. And we're going to jump into what that means to us. First of all, the temple, and you could say, you could make a list of 15 things probably here, but the temple was meant to draw your attention, it seems, to the, the beauty of heaven. Maybe you could say to God's actual um, throne room or the place God is actually reigning. So it, it was meant to draw your attention to the beauty of heaven. It was otherworldly, you could say. If you remember the description, there's trees on the wall and fruit, pomegranates, and then there's um, angels like carved into the gold of the walls. And I think the Bible Project video did a really good job talking about, at least for the tabernacle, how it's all of these symbols that just kind of show what, what Eden or what, what heaven is, is supposed to be like. And it's supposed to turn people's attention to here's what, what heaven is like. Um, we, we read in 2 Chronicles 3 that the temple was overlaid with gold and adorned with precious stones. If you read in Revelation 21 about the new Jerusalem, which corresponds to the temple, it says the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel, jasper, sapphire, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, barrel, all of these jewels, okay, and the street of the city was pure gold, so it sounds like what, what, is, what John's seeing in Revelation is, is, is similar to the temple, right? And so it seems like maybe the, the temple was supposed to be a foretaste or supposed to point people and attract their attention to the beauty of heaven. Um, there are fascinating, if you want to study it sometime, fascinating parallels between the temple of God or the tabernacle even and the, the New Jerusalem and what's going on there. Look that up sometime and um, it's super cool if you're a nerd like me. Um, the temple was meant to draw your attention to the beauty of heaven. It's like it's trying to show something that we can't really comprehend. It, it, it's, it's, it's God doing his best, I guess, to, to show us here's Here's, here's what my, my home in heaven is like. Or here's 
uh, here, here's really what I am like and how I should be adorned and what the worship of me should look like. And he's trying to show something in, in having them build it this way to just give them a taste of something that would be super hard just to comprehend and for us to comprehend. And I think not so much for God's sake, but for our sake. Not that he was just looking for a vacation home, but like he really um, wanted to tell us something about who he is and to tell us something about what um, the, the heavens are like. So, secondly, uh, the temple was chosen and consecrated to display the holiness of God. So this goes kind of back to his character, but says something about God himself. David said in 1 Chronicles, The work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for Yahweh God. Imagine building a palace for God. Like, I imagine my dream home sometimes and what that would look like, and it's rather large. Um, <laughs> and there's a movie theater, and there's um, yes. all sorts of uh, smart devices. <laughs> Every light is, is on my phone. Yeah. Or I just talk to the things, and they happen, and the deadbolt, and the doorbell, and everything <laughs> happens at the command. Um, and that would tell you something about who I am if you got to see my dream house. Um, uh, hopefully you'll see that in a few years. Um, so imagine building a, a palace for God. And, and, and that palace ought to say something about the character of God. It is not only beautiful, but the palace that he built was meant to display his holiness. Y'all, we've talked a ton about all of the sacrifices, or we've read a ton about all the sacrifices and offerings and washings that had to be done in the temple in order for Israel as a people to be fit to even be around God. And even as they're building this temple, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant and the other holy vessels into the temple. And I love this. It says they were sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. They lost track. It's like, we had a at another time, he says, uh, like after the temple was done, they offered as a sacrifice 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Like, I don't even know, I can't even picture 120,000 sheep. And like, how long does it take? Like, that's a, that is a backyard barbecue, man. It's going to take like weeks. But like, just imagine the magnitude. Sometimes it says they can't even number or count what was taken um, and all of this just in recognition that they were relating to God who is holy and he's worthy of all worship. Not to mention in First Chronicles when we read all about David's preparations for the priests and the Levites and everybody that has some kind of temple service and the gatekeepers and the musicians and the treasurers and everybody. All um, so that when it was completed, God said, For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever. He's, he's set this apart. He's making it holy because he's holy, and that's where his presence is going to dwell. Thirdly, the temple was the focal point of the presence of God. Um, so if God can't be contained in a temple made by hands, still... His name was particularly manifested here in the temple. And his glory was particularly resting in the Holy of Holies, um, which is in Jerusalem. And um, I'm not sure where, where that 
Ark of the Covenant is now. I did see something online recently that they found it. Um, yeah, I won't go into the whole story, but be assured it has been recovered. It's <laughs> melting people's faces as we speak. Oh, that um, No, I did, there are people that feel like they found that thing. Um, and maybe, I mean, maybe it's just a relic now that doesn't mean much. Um, but there was this real practical visual presence of God in the temple that you could especially notice there more than anywhere else. So it wasn't as if God wasn't present and working in other areas of the world, but it was just in a less kind of tangible presence or more behind the scenes, like the books of Ruth and Esther. Remember how we read, it's like, yeah, God's working here, but it's just not as, as apparent, does it? We just don't see specifically like smoke or glory or clouds or fire or whatever it is of God coming into the scene. But if you wanted to hear from God, like if you wanted to sense the awesome presence of God, you would go to Jerusalem and behold the temple as a Jew. This is, this is, this is the house of the Lord. This is where his glory would dwell. And we read in the Chronicles that the Lord had set his name on this house. That it was a house for his name to dwell, it says. So it's like when you put a sign on your door that says Smith Home, whatever. You know, oh, this is, it's obvious that this is the Smith's residence. Or you have a giant J on your fireplace mantle. It's like, oh, that's, no, you wouldn't do that. Well, we might do that. A D for us, right here. It, 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 we do that because it's like, hey, our name is is on this place, and it was kind of a similar thing. With the name of the Lord was 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 resting or was was sitting in that place, and so somehow God's presence is is particularly manifested there. So you can say, does God dwell in, in the temple in Solomon's temple? Did He dwell there? Yes. Did God dwell? Does He in in the heavens? Yes. Does God dwell above the highest heavens? Yes. Um, and the reality is the, the writers of Scripture, at least as we read through Chronicles, they don't even try to explain that, that difference or what seems to kind of be a paradox about, well, where is God actually? Um, it, it, says, it doesn't matter. They're, they're just highlighting in the temple God's presence on earth. His name is in that place. So the temple was a focal point for the presence of God. Um, fourthly, and lastly, the temple was a place where, and this is among other things, but where foreigners could come and meet God, or behold God. Um, 1 Chronicles 22.5 says, The house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. And then there's this beautiful part of Solomon's prayer of dedication in 2 Chronicles 6. He says, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, he's praying this to the Lord, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, towards the temple, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you. And listen, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So people would come 
from far countries to seek God at the temple. That was the place where he was. And yes, they could hear of God doing things in other places, but where would they come to seek him? The temple. Where would they come to, to sense, to know that his presence was? They'd come to the temple. So I want to kind of offer a summary verse for the appearance and the purpose of the temple, just to kind of wrap this section up. Solomon says in 2 Chronicles 2.5, The house that I am to build will be great. And then he explains, like, why is it going to be so great? Why is it going to be so beautiful? Why is it going to be so perfectly built according exactly to the word of God? Why is it going to have this 180-foot-tall vestibule out front? Why is it going to be made of such rich material? Why the magnificence of the temple of that day? And then the answer, he says, for our God is greater than all gods. The house that I'm going to build will be great. Why? For our God is greater than all gods. God designed the house. He gives the plans for the house in a way that if you would behold it, you would know that the person dwelling there is greater than anything or anyone else. He wanted that to be seen and experienced with his temple. Going back to the, the Temple Mount, and we kind of maybe touched on this. Um, Chelsea kind of was touching on this. Why is it different for us as Christians to visit the Temple Mount? Um, different than, say, a, a Jew. What's the Jewish perspective of the Temple Mount even currently? You guys know? I, I didn't know this until I kind of read about it. But like, there's the, on, on the, the Temple Mount itself, there's a lot of Jews who, who would say, and a lot of traditions saying that they, they shouldn't even still go onto that area because it's, it's still, that's like going to, into the Temple or into the Holy of Holies. And that would be a no-no for a Jew at any time. So arguably they should even set foot on the space because it's sacred and they know not to approach the Holy of Holies. And that's why they, they go up to that, to that wailing wall and that's as close as they'll get, or that one point in that tunnel, that's as close as they're gonna get, that's, like, that's a safe space. But they wouldn't go any further than that. Um, what do we think about the presence of God currently? Like if we had to put a finger on where is God? What would we say? That's what's so weird about walking through there. It's like you just feel so bad for all these people that like are so convinced that God was there at one time and like still should be there. Yeah, still that he should, still yeah. should be there, that he still should be contained in this box, like um and that he even can be contained in a box, like just that it's um I mean obviously not like in a prideful way, but like a believer holds like a believer in Jesus Christ like holds the the conviction that that God cannot be contained in a box and that he lives everywhere and within us and like he's I mean that that's like in the beginning of Acts how he he says, you know, I've given you my spirit. Yeah. And like that's something that they didn't have then and yeah. that that's it's weird because like you I'm even thinking about it now, it's like I never 
it's so rare that I think like, wow, it's such an amazing thing to have the spirit of God, like, yeah. and that they didn't, I mean, to what degree was the spirit of God working in like, you know, David, for instance, like, you know, David didn't like go knock on the Ark of the Covenant every time he wanted to like have, you know, communion with God, if you will. So there was like some element of relationship with God, even though there wasn't like a physical Ark in front of every person who was had faith, but yeah. like, Anyway, that that's just a that's a mystery to us at the same time as being like a sincere conviction that, that yeah. we hold as believers is that so it's just sad to walk through and to see these people that just like they spend many of them are probably honestly hired and, and they spend most of their day there and wail and grieve and um, yeah. that's what their whole life is about and they're just super sincere about doing that and um and they I mean it's you never know how sincere it actually is, but it's it's like crazy intense. Yeah. It just makes you sad. Yeah. Um, and, and to like, there was a point in time where, like, like we're talking about here in the temple, that it that was it was an appropriate place to worship yeah. because this is what how kind of God had designed His interaction with <clears throat> the people of Israel. Yeah. Um, where would you all say? So so this this temple. Um, uh, Herod's temple is our most recent version there was built or was destroyed in 70 AD um, mm -hmm. So there's no more temple or what's What what is the temple now? Does the temple persist or who? Who is it? Us. Yeah us so you could say we, we <laughs> talked about a couple years ago um, or a couple years ago a couple weeks ago um, Jesus <laughs> calls himself, his own body, the temple. Mm -hmm. um, destroy this temple, he says, and in three days I'll raise it up, and it says he was speaking about the temple of his body. Um, we talked about that a little bit. If, if you're interested in that connection, then I will refer you to a sermon here in January called Jesus the Temple. But what's the next temple so to speak, to come on the scene after Jesus. We, we talked about it a couple weeks ago in, in Haggai, and it's the church. It's not a building per se. It is the people of God. We are the temple, and we're going to look at some verses that talk about that. Um, I mean, even by implication, we are. Jesus says, my body is the temple, and then later we're called the body of Christ. So even you can make a connection there of the people of God, the body of Christ being a, a, a kind of temple. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about individual believers. A lot of people love to quote this one, my body is, is a temple. Um, but like as an individual, my body is a temple. I, I, I house the, the spirit of God in me. Um, most of the time in the New Testament, the, the temple, unless they're talking about Herod's like physical temple, most of the time the temple is speaking, or that temple kind of imagery is speaking of a people, the people of God, not just one individual. I'm a temple, but all of us together, the church, are a temple. And y'all, I don't know if it, if it sinks in, but think about the construction and the glory of the temple of the Old Testament and, and these things that we were saying that it, it, it was representative of, and consider the implications then of New Testament writers saying that we are also uh, now a, a temple that, that in which the Spirit of God dwells. Like there's enormous 
weight just in, in that bit of information alone and the connection of those two things. So I want to look at just a couple of these verses quickly about us as the temple. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 starts this way. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Typically, a lot of people use that as don't marry an unbeliever. I think it goes way beyond that. Um, don't be tied together with those who don't believe. Yoked. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? They don't get along. What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Listen, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, just, just so you know, Paul isn't saying we shouldn't ever be around non-believers. Um, there's other parts of his letters to the Corinthians that we can figure that out. Um, just that we shouldn't tie ourselves in partnership with them because we're not, we're not shooting for the same goals. It can be like oil and water. Um, and he's saying that here, y'all are to be distinct as God's people, as God's temple. The temple isn't supposed to be like other organizations or clubs or businesses. This is a, the temple of God is set apart to attain something much more weighty than profit or fun or other things that we might link ourselves to other people with. It's meant to display something, the temple of God, us. We are the temple meant to display something. And so I want you to see the connection of, between us as the temple and Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was chosen, we said, was chosen and consecrated to display the holiness of God. And so is the church. 2 Corinthians, that, that same passage, chapter 6, goes on to say, Therefore, go out from their midst, those people who we are unlike, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. God has chosen us to, to be distinct. He has set us apart to be distinct. He sanctified us to display the holiness of God. Christ. Are we cleansing ourselves from every sort of defilement of body and spirit? Are we living as a holy people? This, us, our church right here, our local church as an expression of the temple of God, are we living in such a way that the, the holy ambiance that you, that you picture of walking into Solomon's temple or that some people have as they're walking up to um, the Western Wall, that, that ambiance, that feel, that significance, that we should have some sense of that around us, or people should have some realization of the holiness of God because of our set apartness. Does that make sense? We are the temple. So another verse that speaks about us is the temple, Ephesians 2 says, we are members of the household of God. There's the, there's the temple language. We're members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, listen, grows into a holy temple. Us, we, the members of the household of God, grow into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, 
listen how clear this is, you, you, you all, it's plural, are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Sounds a lot like the temple, the dwelling place for God. So, remember, we said Solomon's temple was the focal point of the presence of God. And now, especially since Christ is not walking around here on earth, now the church, I would say, is as the temple is a new focal point of the presence of God. So he goes on, or I'm sorry, so Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you, plural y'all, y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all. Is that what the text says? Exactly. <laughs> the text God dwelling in a temple, like, like things have, have not changed all that much. God dwells still in a temple. The difference is, like we said, the temple now is not some physical building, but it's a fellowship of, of people. And Paul says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Whoa. For God's temple is holy, and you all are that temple. Again, they're, they're, all, they're all plurals. Um, that word temple is singular. The, the, the word you is plural. You all are that singular temple. Yeah. And um, the whole... If you read, that, that's from 1 Corinthians 3. If you read up until that point in 1 Corinthians, you realize this is talking a lot. There's this major theme of unity in 1 Corinthians. And so he's saying you destroy God's temple when you destroy the unity of the local church or when you cause divisions in the fellowship of God. And God will destroy that person who destroys that unity because disunity is opposite of what we are called to be and disunity is opposite of the, the perfected version of ourselves and our community that we'll experience in heaven. So, so sin back in the day and still destroys destroyed our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with each other. In heaven, in the future, for us, that, that, that conflict, that tension, those arguments, that war among us is completely done away with. There's no more discord. There's no more arguments. And so just as Solomon's temple was meant to draw your attention to the beauty of heaven, to give us a glimpse of here's kind of what it's like, so is the church in many different ways beyond unity, but that's certainly a significant one that Paul talks about. So God dwells in his people, in us, by his spirit. I would say, like, is, is God's presence noticeable among us? I think that's a good, something to consider for ourselves. Listen, y'all. If someone asked an Old Testament Israelite, show me the presence of God. Take me to the Lord. Or, or, or if they said, I want to I I know about your faith. I want to see the highlight of your faith. I want to understand what God is like. I want to understand what your faith looks like. Where do we need to go? What should I see? Well, uh, that, that Israelite would say, well, let's go to the temple. I want to show you where this all goes down, the hub of everything. But now, 21st century, when somebody says, hey, I want to I see the presence of God, don't take them to Jerusalem. When people see the church, 
they ought to see the presence of God. They should know that God has put his name upon us. We can, we can see God. People can see God in many other different ways. We can see God in creation. And we can see God in, in the good food that we eat and the air that we breathe and all of his, um, the conscience that we have and all the many just kind of common graces that he has for us. But there is a hot spot, like the Holy of Holies was, of the, the presence of God bears the name of God, and now that is called the church. And to give a little confession to you guys, I detest the notion that I've often heard, and, and maybe at times in my life even said myself, that if you want to know what God is like, then don't look at the church, look at Christ, is, is the, right, you've heard that before. The church is the body of Christ. I understand the, the, the sentiment behind that, the church is not perfectly the body of Christ, but the church, as we just read, is the dwelling place of God. There is no better place to look, or there ought to be no better place to look than the church to notice what God is like, to notice what his presence is like. We are meant to be the, the focal point of the presence of God and to draw people's attention to the beauty of heaven as we are the temple. And lastly, uh, just to compare it to Solomon's temple, it's a place where foreigners or those who are outside of our faith could, should be able to come to meet God. 1 Chronicles 22.5 says, The house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, I read this earlier, of fame and glory throughout the lands. And then a famous verse that we're familiar with about the church, 1 Peter 2.5, You yourselves, like living stones, here's the kind of temple language, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, all the types of things that are done in the temple, and then verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, his name is on us. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies. To the people who, who don't know this may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're the temple, and people should be able to come to us and view us to find out about God. So Solomon said something that I kind of used to summarize the temple, uh, what he was going to do in his construction of the temple. In 2 Chronicles 2.5, he said, The house that I am to build will be great. Why? For our God is greater than all gods. Does this temple proclaim that our God is greater than than all gods. So what? Um, I want to just read these four statements again about Solomon's temple, these things that I kind of drew out. Um, but replace temple with church. I don't think it's meant to just be a one-to-one -one connection, but I think it, it makes sense as far as these statements go. So how, how does this affect us? I want us just to consider personally as a church um, just consider these things. Number one, the church is meant to draw your attention to the beauty of heaven. 
I think it's Leslie Newbegin says that the church is a sign, a foretaste, and an instrument of the kingdom. Is that it? Those words. Um, we should, to some extent, be a picture of what is to come. Are we noticeably living in a way that is otherworldly or that is supernatural in our unity with each other, in our peace, in our storing up treasure in heaven, in our art? Are we a foretaste of, of what we will one day experience in perfection? Secondly, the church is chosen and consecrated to display the holiness of God. Are we kind of tying ourselves and partnering, yoking ourselves to unbelievers just in different goals in this life? Or do we, do we set up idols in the temple? It's one of the illustrations that he gives. These things can't go together. Or are we purifying ourselves as Christ is pure to display who he is? Clearly, the church is the focal point of the presence of God. Do people see that in us? Do people see that in our community? It is the name of Christ on the entryway of our church, of us. To where people walk in and say, oh, God lives here. This is God's people. Um, do they see in our lives a deep reverence for God because he is here, he's among us? And fourthly, the church is a place where all people could come to meet God. Just to end, I want to imagine for a second that you are living 2,500 years ago, and you're not an Israelite, but you've heard about the Israelite God, and I want you to imagine that you have an interest in finding out about him, and so you take a journey to visit the temple in Jerusalem for the first time. You've never been there before. And you have some Jewish friends who are going to help explain what you're seeing so you know some of the significance of that. Like, what would that feel like when you turn the corner or you look over the mountain and you, you see and you begin to understand what that temple represents, or as you walk up to, say, the outer courts of the temple. Like, what, what would that feel like? You've heard about this great God that rescued people out of slavery in Egypt and that did amazing works and has caused this little nobody group of people to demolish nations and take over this land. Like, you've heard of all these great things. And now you approach this temple, this magnificent, beautiful, 180-foot tall and laced and lined in gold and precious stones and all of this. You see this here before you. What would that feel like? The majesty, the beauty, the magnitude, the almost impossible, how could they even make this sort of thing? The reverence, the weightiness. And I think, what if people experienced something similar to that as they were around us, the church. If they came to one of our gatherings and they walked in the door and they 
sensed immediately a, a, a reverence for God. He sensed immediately, man, this God that they worship and serve is just, he's other, he's amazing, because these people are, they're, they're living in a way that is, is not the same as other people that I see living. And these people, they're, they're able to love each other and forgive each other in a way that I didn't even know was humanly possible. What is going on here? Would they notice, the, like, what if they noticed the presence of God among us as we walk in the Spirit? Or not even a church gathering. Maybe they come to the Jones's party at their house last Saturday, and, and there's some people from our church there. What if they walk into that environment, and they're like, man, some of these people here are, are different than the rest of the people after they engage in conversation. Like, some of these people, wow, they, they know each other, and they care each other, and they've been carrying each other for several years, and they care about people. And these two people, they're nothing like each other. But man, they really love each other. They really see how they love Like, something out, something's going on here that is that is heavenly it's it's something that i don't see demonstrated around me in other ways or maybe you're in some public place with a couple of other believers at the bar or at the movies and people around you notice something that is different in conversation with you and they say man this this is this is other like this is something that that seems like something so good that it, it can't really be attained because it's something that's pointing to the perfection of heaven. Or man, this 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 God that they serve just must be magnificent and worthy of all praise and glory because of the way that this person is living. Or they see the presence of God among us. Like, y'all, what if people saw our church and they said their God is greater than all gods? because of what they see in us. We are meant to be that kind of temple. So I encourage us to live into that. Let me pray. Father, it's um, humbling to think that you, one, would come to uh, dwell among us uh, in any number of ways that you have, uh, in the temple and the tabernacle, but certainly in the person of Christ, your son. Um, that's humbling alone, but even just as much uh, that we would uh, be the place now that you were pleased to put your spirit. And um, God, being called in these several New Testament passages, being likened to your temple, um, is humbling and challenging and it, it feels very weighty and uh, Lord but it's because you put your spirit in us that we are able to live some of these things out that we are able to become holy like you are holy that we are able to become a, a, a people that point to heavenly things that we are able to become a people who, who, who look have some resemblance to Christ. It's because your spirit's in us. That's how you're doing it. And so we receive that just with humility, Lord. Would you help us to live as the people that you have created us to be? And Lord, may the nations around us and our neighbors see, um, see something glorious and magnificent, even as the people saw Solomon's temple. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.